So, in literature news, uh, you know that Lodestar, that uh, anonymous um, White House employee who's been monkey-wrenching the Trump administration for the resistance? Um, they asked a literary agent how much he, he or she, or they, uh, could get for a book, and the agent said, probably in the seven figures. So, uh, yeah, Mike Pence, um, hit me up. I could uh, sort you out with some investment opportunities with that money. Get you get you into Bitcoin. Uh, and the whole load stuffing was was really shitty. Did did were you following this whole thing? Of uh, of the anonymous op-ed. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, kind of. It. There's something about it that strikes me as um, I'm gonna get a wee bit his, uh, conspiratorial here, and I oh feel, no, don't worry, uh, I'm gonna go like full QAnon if I talk about this, but uh, yeah, yeah have, I, have I, I, I I don't think that um, I don't think that Mike Pence wrote it. I think someone wrote it to sound like Mike Pence. Oh yeah, definitely, um, and that it exists just to sow dissent, yeah. which. Which is fine in one way, but it's it feels a lot like... I mean, to be fair, elements of the Russia thing are apparently panning out to have been true. But also anyone who knows about really how geopolitics among great po powers works won't find that shocking. Like, it's weird no. that it blew everyone's minds that, like, you try to mess with the elections of, of major geopolitical rivals? It's like, yeah... Like, have you read it? Did you attend history class even as a child? Like, yeah. I, if you like, do you remember like that uh, war in Georgia? Yeah. Years ago, uh, Georgia, the country, not the state. Yeah. Just to clarify yeah, for friends at home, and uh, yeah, there was like it was just there was a like multi-millionaire right-wing idiot who Russia paid to be their guy in Georgia in order to fuck shit up there. They. Uh, Blew up the country's um, internet with tons of messages. Uh, and they, fun fact about the Russian-Georgian War, one of my favorite subjects, Russia stole all of Georgia's navy. They just loaded Georgia's navy yeah. on the back of trucks and took it away. Brilliant. Uh, so I, for one, welcome our Slavic Overlords. To be fair, it's like six boats. Pretty small boats, but, uh, but still, baller move. Who else has a really beautiful mind is Elon Musk, perennial favorite of this show. Uh, yeah, friend of the Big show, friend. long Big time, long time uh, guest star, Elon Musk, 
managed to like annihilate nine billion dollars of his assets in his company through uh, smoking some of that some of that chronic some of that herb on the Joe I, Rogan show just mwah, beautiful I, so I was talking to a uh, to a coworker about this a coworker who is much less online than we are and is online in the traditional manners when he is online and that I find it very enlightening to talk to him because he'll also sometimes like he's the kind of guy who thinks that uh that Crowder guy with the like there's only two genders blah, 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 that oh, that guy, that guy. Yeah. sometimes will make decent points and so having uh which I obviously I don't agree with, but um being able to like have a congenial discussion with a coworker like that who also listens to and respects me and thinks that I you know he listens to me about it because he's like you said this what are what are your thoughts and I'll say something like I never thought about that this is a good point um even so. Being able to step through some of these overly online events with someone like that, uh, I, I feel helps clarify my thoughts on the matter. Because, uh, you know, it's overly online, uh, that bubble that we all fall into at times, uh, can feel like you are now schizophrenic. So it's good to, to pop out of it for a little. I will, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I told him about how, uh, in the wake of, uh, the, wild and inexplicable turn of events that Elon Musk, out of nowhere, starts dating Grimes, someone who absolutely should know better and that everyone thought would know better, but at the end of the day, is a white person. Um, I'm a white person, I can say that. We have we have genetic weakness to this kind of thing. Oh, big um, time, yeah. Uh, uh, she dates Elon Musk. She reaches out to uh, the broader pop world, of which she's been ingratiating herself for the past, like, five-ish years, um, off of the back of uh, Visions, the album before the last one. Uh, and one of the many people that she reached out to was Azalea Banks. Just asked the frog and the scorpion who, uh, um, thing comes up here. Like, you got to know by now that Azalea Banks is fucking insane. She but, sacrifices chickens. Now, granted, it's part of it's part of a uh, an indigenous, yeah. yeah. So, like, not hating on that. That's that's a legitimate spiritual practice that uh, that is important to a lot of people, especially Afro Caribbean people. Um, but it is. She's also uh, she's been online a bit. I think it's the short version of Azalea Banks. Uh, she's very online, highly, highly oh, yeah. online. And you can see how online she is with just a brief Google search. Um, so uh, Grimes invites her to uh, to collaborate, and they she's like, okay, yeah, where should we meet up? And it's like, well, I'm based mostly in Elon Musk's mansion right now because, of course, I am. I'm a white person, and he has a mansion, and we, we yeah. love mansions. Oh, so, it's Gatsby shit. That's like our foundational text of being a white person. Right? We were forced to read it every year. Until we love it. And then we read it every year for pleasure on our own. And oh, yeah. force our own children and peers to read it. Um, so Azalea Banks flies out. But Grimes, for some reason, uh, has cross-booked herself. And has decided that she should leave Azalea Banks alone in the Elon Musk home. Without Elon Musk being there for most of it. But not all of it. So she's there for like a week? almost totally unattended, and becomes privy, for some reason, because we live in a novel, 
to a lot of Elon Musk's personal information, not Grimes' personal information, Elon Musk's personal information, uh, and witnesses very sensitive conversations that he has on the back of him declaring out of nowhere that he has, uh, he might be taking, I think it was the Boring Company private, not Tesla, uh, but it could be I think wrong. It was, no, it was, it was Tesla. Yeah, it was oh. just straight up Tesla. Like, I'm going to take them private because I, and I've secured the funding and that'll give me a little bit more control over, um. Not being fired. Uh, yeah. She releases information that he, uh, that she got apparently from his, uh, like, his servants, that he's been on a whacked-out drug bender of varying sorts for a while now, and made that statement while high as shit, realized after the fact it was totally wrong, and started panicking, because technically, making a statement like that affects the market price for your company, and whether you do so to deliberately profit from that or not, that is manipulating markets, which is a felony. Um, so, uh, so she winds up being, because she's mad at Grimes, she dumps a ton of Elon Musk's personal information about how he's, I see Rich and White obviously is doing a lot of drugs. I don't know why people are shocked by that, but, mm. um, drops a ton of information about how he's going on drug vendors and making <laughs> sensitive, knowingly false informa- uh, statements about the financial future of his companies, which are publicly traded while high, which is illegal in a lot of ways, gets, um, um, they're not the SEC. What are they? The, um, I think it's the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, yeah, it is that. I just, I keep getting that mixed up because that's also the Southeastern Conference in, uh, college football in America. Only oh, yeah. Americans know. <laughs> yeah. Real heads recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so the SEC starts investigating him because that's not legal at all. His board, which was already considering firing him because of all the stuff prior to this, if you haven't even mentioned, now is doubling down on, like, we might think about firing him. And in the wake of all of this. Now, in, in this instance, worse things have happened to uh, CEOs. And uh, given how shitty the world is, if you're a white, cis, straight, male CEO, and shit like this happens, you can get out of it. Should you be able to? No. But can you? Unfortunately, historically, yes. Oh. All you have to do is not fuck up. What does he do? He goes on the Joe Rogan show. He talks about how he loves magic mushrooms and he smokes weed on camera. Beautiful. His financial advisor literally quit within an hour of seeing it. Just immediately quit. It's like, I'm done. <laughs> it's, it's a horseshoe theory of genius where he is so stupid, he has become brilliant. He's like a Dali of, except his paintings are his own fuck-ups. He's like he's, Eric Andre, but it's not satire, it's just his real life. His, his Sistine Chapel is his Twitter account and how badly it destroys him. He He's like, he's the man of the of uh, the 21st century so far for me. He's perfectly typifies uh, straight white male utter mediocrity at what you do because he has like no talent at engineering he he doesn't make anything he he does he just says 
it would be cool if cars were electric and someone else goes out and does it for him. And just utter confidence that every tweet is pure nomic genius from you. And you can do whatever you want, no consequences, and be absolutely right that there are no consequences for that. Beautiful. What's really strange is that, and I think this is important when dealing with Elon Musk, is we sometimes get caught up, and as leftists, we can sometimes get a little bit too hard on the material end and not deal with the uh, idealist end. To drop into philosophy terms for a second, but only for a second. Um, And we'll get fixated on, well, Elon Musk is a giant shit baby. And that's very true. But there is kind of an, um, there is a necessity almost for like, a, uh, a dreamer class that don't necessarily have the engineering um, capabilities, but act as functional, like choosing the direction to apply engineering knowledge. Or, um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with having someone that goes like, hey, here's a really cool thing. We should focus and try to develop something like that. The problem is we live in a really shitty, bad world so the the people that do that for us are all stupid Mm. right that's like the notion of an elon musk is not bad but the one we got uh sucks yeah we we wanted tony stark and we got um what's his name hammer the guy who um what's it army hammer no not army hammer no that's he's dead (laughs) he's dead army hammer (laughs) the 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 guy sam rockwell played but um um, yeah we got that guy or more importantly, we got Elon Musk, who is very much his own character at the moment. Even Isn't... dumber and less cool than the villain of Iron Man 3. Two. <laughs> the, the worst one in the series. Because hey, the... that had electric whips in it. It did. Briefly. And they blew up race cars. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm uh... stupid, so I have very specific rubrics for what makes something good. I like both Ghost Rider films. I, I can... that, that's okay, it. I think go. a good statement. Ghost Rider 2... I brilliant that was very good idris elba's best role in my opinion um, to be fair ghost rider 2 was made by the same uh directors as uh as the crank movies which are genius yeah those are legit fucking brilliant yeah um even when they're a bit racist and they often are yeah they yeah they dip into racism mm-hmm. um dip is uh very light for, yeah. for the kind of race it's uh soaked in it yeah but you know who else is a uh, finance person who's fucking up? Um, not anyone real, but the protagonist of Gary Steingart's new book, Lake Success, um, which I liked about as much as I think I'd like talking to Elon Musk. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's not too great, is it? It's just no, a bit. I'm... No, it's, it's... uh. It's frustrating because I know that I know that Gary Steinger or uh, Steinger gets a ton of praise, hmm. especially and as I, a satirist, which is the absolute weakest point of this book, as we'll get yeah, to in a minute. I like um, the brief background of him. He um, the first book of his that really blew up from my memory was Absurdistan, hmm. um, which was released in the middle of um bush's presidency and it was one of those like making fun of how fucking awful george bush and our uh middle eastern foreign policy uh was shooting fish in a barrel because it we're still living in that nightmare Mm, um mind-bogglingly horrific 
And so it just sort of became anyone who said that guy's kind of stupid seemed to blow up, which yeah, I, I uh, followed a little bit. George but also, Shrub, right? Remember Shrub? Yeah. That was like the cringy drump thing of the Bush eras. I do. Uh, kind of. And like Absurdistan, I, I like I picked it up when I was in high school and I was like, I think the pro- the premier kind of audience for that kind of thing of like I wasn't yet a socialist I was it's left leaning but I wasn't quite there but I was like, like kind of a Michael Moore stage yeah. of development like um Sean said in a couple of episodes ago like like I was I was beyond libertarianism of which <laughs> a lot of young leftists dabble in that for reasons but I, I was beyond there but I wasn't and I'm like I'm reading it and I'm like but this is kind of this just this kind of like boring and not funny this sounds like an old person just making jokes that are bad hmm. then a couple years later he drops super sad super sad true love story which absolutely blew up yeah that was and, the first time I had contact with him and so, all, I, did, I didn't like it at all I know same I, just, I the whole world loved it um yeah I was like I, I guess I'm stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, 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 I guess I'm a dumb I yeah, I literally had that uh, reaction to it. I thought, okay, so if the rest of the world loves this, I don't. Maybe it's me that's wrong this time. Maybe I should go back, start it over, see if I'm seeing something other than this like incredibly weak satire melded with this schlubby Jewish guy meets a hot Asian teenager fantasy. Yeah, and there was also like weird mealy mouth melodrama in it that didn't it didn't lean far enough into the melodrama to become like. I've been on a kung fu film flick recent, a kick recently with the with my partner, and like those are really rich in melodrama, but in a way that you're like, oh yeah, I can sink into this. Instead, it just felt like a weird mix of an adult man writing a CW show that is also his pervy sex fantasy, and then really bad jokes in it. Mm, yeah, it's like, I don't, um, I don't get. Yeah, and uh, the the politics were very of their era which i think it was end of bush era beginning of obama yeah and um yeah it was round one of this uh hashtag resistance thing we've got on right now um and it it was about as much fun i mean at the time it was like everything and it was uh i was fully immersed in it i bought that um uh, little picture book of George W. It was like supposed to be George Bush's conf- W. Bush's confessions to his psychiatrist. It's all drawn in crayon. And it's written in a child's voice. So. Oh, my first presidentiary. That's it. Yeah. Something like those that, lines. That was, that was funny as shit. Yeah. That, that was like the um, go to fuck the, to sleep of its day. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we're all in it, but we were kids yeah. and uh, yeah, I was literally in seventh grade when that came out, so... Yeah, it was put around the same, and I thought that made me sophisticated, and staying up really, really late to watch John Stewart would also make me sophisticated. And, uh, yeah, that didn't work out, and then the Obama years didn't work out either. Yeah, and uh, uh, <clears throat> anyone who came out of the Obama years not seeing that as the failure of Democrats and mainstream pseudo leftism uh i i i question how like uh they're, they're stupid that's that's yeah. what i'm saying they're stupid yeah. <laughs> and he hasn't made a connection between being promised hope and change and thinking we had elected a leftist think we'd 
thinking that Guantanamo Bay would be shut down in the first week, Afghanistan and Iraq would just fade into the background in the first month. We'd get, well, I say we, I mean you, would yeah. get universal health care. And then nothing. You get a Heritage Foundation-sponsored healthcare thing that's, I'm not speaking from experience here, but I imagine is not too great, unless you really like websites. It has bits that are good. Mm, yeah. But those bits are also now being actively dismantled. Yeah. And the parts that are bad are remaining. <laughs> of course, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, and not and not seeing as Gary Steingart doesn't seem to, how that whole era is responsible for Trump. That's why Trump happened. Yeah. And um I think it's like which... Ben Shapiro's statement that Obama lecturing people is how we got Trump is obviously not made in good faith, but it's not entirely wrong. Hmm. It's, it's the, wrong about the lecturing part. If you yeah. took out, if you took out lecturing people, it would be if you just labeled as Obama gave you got got us Trump. That's more or less true. Yeah, and it's not uh, mostly Obama's fault because the right wing media became completely far gone in that area. It went from being the whole southern strategy of cynically manipulating poor white people to. 100% believing that Jade Helm and ended up being like spirit cooking and Pizzagate. Yeah. And, uh, it... Yeah. So, but, so this book, we should probably uh, talk about what it's about, because, so it's about a hedge fund manager, and he's got a, as many kind of Gary Stein got, a protagonist seem to, a beautiful younger wife of a different race. And um, he's got a young autistic son. I think he's three years old. Um, when the book opens, in what is a pretty decent scene, um, Larry, the... Sorry, it is Larry, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. But um, he is stumbling through the Port Authority bus terminal, drunk out of his mind on $50,000 scotch, and he decides to go on a bus trip on a Greyhound across America to rediscover America and therefore himself. Um, that is has not been a promising start since On the Road, and On the Road is actually terrible. Yeah, it's not a good book. Yeah, and um, it's mentioned here several times alongside tons of... Um, uh, F, F. Scott Fitzgerald comes up a lot in this, and um, the great American novels, because, hint, hint, Gary Steingart is a great American novelist now. And, um, yeah, he, um, so it's half of the book is these episodes where Larry walks into absurd situations and he's, a, he's a little bit on the autistic spectrum himself. I think that it's mentioned once and his interactions are very, uh, kind of stereotypical, um, in that yeah, kind of, um, uh, Sheldon from big bang theory way that, uh, people who aren't on the spectrum believe people who are to be, he's, um, He's a bit of a, if you read between lines, he's a bit of a caricature of people with Asperger's. He's big into watches and has very little social cues, awareness. It's, um, yeah, it, it's Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, but with more money. It's, um, and he goes to Baltimore and meets a crack dealer and gets some crack. And it there's a whole bit about the wire in there, which just almost cringed my spine in half 
Uh, he meets his ex-girlfriend and more cringe. They go to Mexico, cringe. And in the end, he all comes out of it fine and becomes a um, hedge fund manager again several times. And like we said with Elon Musk, um, bounces back because you can. And that's kind of alluded to that whole thing, but it's not in a particularly critical way. And um, yeah, in the process, we get a lot of mentions of Trump because it's set in 2016, uh, the just before the um, elections when things are kind of ramping up. And um, yeah, it's not great. And the other half of the book, which is uh, his wife, Seema, um, just kind of reacting to her husband being having disappeared, is just dull. It's incredibly dull. I, I was skipping yeah, yeah. chapters by the end. It was just nothing happened. It was like I, I I'm sympathetic to writers that inadvertently write dull shit. That um, that happens. Uh, it's embarrassing and it sucks. Uh, and sometimes you're waist deep in it before you notice. But also it's the one the fact that I have to preface anything that I'm about to say like that is not a good sign. Um, and two, it was still like, I don't, I get structurally why he put that in, in order to try to, because uh, it's sort of a dialectical process to building a satisfying novel of like, what point of view would perfectly counter what I'm showing here, whether that point of view is correct or not, so that I can at least give depth or give a different perspective or fill out certain characters that, deserve to have a voice when telling this story but it's it felt like he outlined it put a bullet point of like now i need something from from her point of view and then like never never worked on it beyond there and he was like popped up knocked out a draft of like here's what she's doing and no editor was like yeah but we need her to actually um do something yeah have some agency want something something like yeah or even reflect on something in a way that feels like uh, real and human, as opposed to like, here's her commenting on the plot so far and moving on. Mm. Uh, it, yeah, she she uh, has an affair with a hot uh, is Guatemalan, I think it is writer, um, who I always imagined being played by uh, Oscar. What's his name from Star Wars? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, yeah. I could only imagine him as being Oscar Isaac. I could imagine none of the other characters I, I visualized, but him he was just Oscar Isaac. But um yeah, and that's kind of fizzles out and goes nowhere. He he gets really no story or development. It's just he's cheating on his wife and it, it feels like it feels like he knows what a literary fiction book in twenty eighteen should look like, which is rich but diverse people uh, falling in and out of bed with each other and feeling kind of bad about it and there's politics in the background and he gives us that just to fill it out so he doesn't get accused of being entirely sympathetic only to Larry who is a lot like uh, the characters in a super sad love story and probably in Absurdistan too it's just a schlubby guy who doesn't really fit in but he's super eager to please everyone. It's kind of... I imagine him as Paul Giamatti. But, um, yeah. That's... Very much 
born to play him, but uh, shouldn't because really a waste of Paul Giamatti's talents. But uh, an actual good actor should, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, he doesn't uh, deserve that. No, he he doesn't. Uh, but yeah, this is a, a quite disappointing book for something coming out of someone who gets billed as. We don't do the great American writer anymore, but as, as good as, if you believe the press, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, and it's kind of indicative of the drying up of uh, horizons when it comes to satire in America and how capitalist realism has just closed the window on what we can say and has given us this, like, just like, Daily Show skit over three hundred pages, and yeah, Trevor I, Noah Daily Show too. Like, not even like Prime John Stewart Daily Show. We're talking like two thousand seventeen Daily Show. For shame! It, it really it one it strikes me, and this is probably the harshest thing I can say about it. As go off, King. Uh, <laughs> It reminds me of uh, how really desperate the literary world feels right now for an important statement. Oh, Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, they want the desire to be relevant culturally in the way that they feel they were with, like, Faulkner or Hemingway or even or even with Toni Morrison where it was this just like massive in certain spaces but absolutely massive um and like clinging for anyone who seems to be saying something as like oh yeah this is our this is our resistance man and it that it's really off-putting because we yeah. have um I'm trying to see when a specific book uh, came out for an example of, for a counterexample real quick. I should have looked this up. Why did they have to name the book Speedboat? I'm never going to find... It's just going to be pictures of speedboats. Yeah, it's, I'm just it's looking at pictures of speedboats. Which I mean, But I don't, I don't, that's <laughs> not what I want right now. But like, we have, um... We have books like uh, like Speedboat coming out in the past like five ten years that are these really rich but very like individual stories, and I compare them to something like Lake Success, which feels like gormless with how many bases it's trying to touch but not touching them all that well. Oh, it feels oh, a little yeah. bit like it wants the satirical zaniness of a like a peak era. John novel, but without without the literary acumen of mm. that. Oh, yeah, very like at all. Yeah, like this read fine, but yeah. it also it read like as as well as any like MA fiction. It's yeah passable. It yeah, and it like there didn't. This is going to sound weird because style sometimes is a big trap that can convince someone not to write a good story, but to write a stylish story. But that's only if you fixate on it. Like, I, I'm thinking Tarantino right now. That's a corny-ass motherfucker. Uh, oh, yeah. 
yeah. who, like with Inglorious Bastards, dialed down his style and delivered a really great movie that pretty much everyone loves. And then he dialed his style back up and nev- everyone hated Django. Like, <laughs> yeah, which is, it's hard to make a movie about a black cowboy shooting slave owners and have people go, yeah, I didn't really like that one. <laughs> like, yeah. you have to, you have to fuck up. <laughs> yeah, and. This, in the right hands, uh, could have been good. We give this plot yeah. to a bunch of different writers, and a uh, road trip through contemporary America is, it's kind of a cliche, but it, um, cliche plot, but it's got enough there. Uh, yeah. It's, someone it's a, could have done this good. Especially a kind of, um, like a loose picaresque building off of pieces of, pieces of America. It just, like, we see, uh, we see a similar kind of structure in Parts Unknown, the, the Anthony Bourdain show, um, which didn't go in a satirical direction, went in an incredibly sincere one of showing, because it becomes the question of what part of reality are you going to show? There's a lot of reality, and what you choose to include versus not include um, affects the shape of the story you're telling. I think sometimes we pathologize it too much as, like, a deliberacy in what you're putting in versus what you're putting out, but it definitely, regardless of how deliberate the inclusion or exclusion is, it affects it. And it's like he picked, it's like Steingart picked the most, like, I want a 45-year-old urban liberal to satirize America. And it's just exactly the things you think that person would pick. Mm, Yeah, which is uh, black people and poor white people. Very little individuating, very little sense of like poor white people are are a whole are a big group in America with a lot of different like there are a lot of issues within uh, the poor white community, um, but also I'm a an active leftist and poor and white, um, so it's like there's these or like you have queer people in the South and you have major queer movements in the South and. Um, you have like, like the John Brown Gun Club is poor white people. Yeah. And it's like, it's this mystifying, like, it's like he only reads the Washington Post and the New York Times. And that's his entire view. I imagine that's probably very true. Uh, allegedly, he did this road trip, according to uh, New York Times. Um, yeah, he uh, he did most of this. And a bunch of scenes are not verbatim, but they are... Um, taken from real, real life the one scene in a in a bar where he's talking he talks about how he hates trump and a bunch of like proud boy looking dudes all walk out apparently that happened but um i, I very much doubt the smoking crack and sucking dude off in a fedex um depot happened but you know maybe he'll surprise us all yeah it's uh he um yeah it's just kind of Blah. Like a lot of um like a lot of the stuff that's uh the hashtag resistance is coming out with now. Like the the book I'm reading for probably next show or next show but one, Crudo by uh, Olivia Lang. It's um she's a British writer, but she's very much immersed in this same kind of New York Times, Washington Post uh literary world. And it's the same it's so many of the same mistakes get made. It's about how how Trump makes you feel is bad, therefore he is bad. Not that, you know, people are dying. 
They're like and, concentration camps for yeah. children because yeah. their parents wanted to come to America. Like none of the, or continuing the massive drone war that their beloved President Obama uh, mm. radically expanded. Yeah, yeah. Like and, we don't um, get literary novels about the the first dropping of a Moab. <laughs> it was followed shortly by the second dropping of a Moab. Yeah, but and like uh, it, it, which. Which raises a big question that that I kept thinking while I was reading this, and it's what the fuck happened to literary fiction? Like, what? Oh yeah. What the fuck happened? Because the whole notion of the differentiation between literary fiction and genre fiction, um, goes back in a certain way to like uh, Guy de Maupassant and like Balzac, the notion of telling real stories about people with all the grit and grain, the parts that make them look good and the parts that make them look bad. And that's where we get, like, we get really good and really fearless black writers, women writers, queer writers, things like that. Not to say that (laughs) men can't do that, but we've been Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of failure on that end because they're willing to treat They're willing to treat their own lived experiences as human. They don't need to be valorized or villainized. It's like, I want to tell the real shape of my life because no one else is telling it. And that's literally the entire impetus. The entirety of genre fiction is built around the imposition of imagination on that space and speculation. Um, And literary fiction is sort of built in shooting in kind of the opposite direction of of trying to show the depth and human realness of of the world and, and the tension and most books being a tension between those two. And it's like you get people who live well within this, this middle space. Like they forget, like the reason why Faulkner was revolutionary was because he was writing in a richly uh, technically fulfilling way about poor white people in a way that they'd been treated as like the laughing stock of, of books and society. Prior to that, it was now this rich tale about about the interiors of their lives and the ones that hate the racism around them and the ones that indulge in it and the ones that are indifferent and how they deal with death, how they deal... Like, and it's, like, I don't know how that got... Like, how did the guy who wrote On Chesil Beach, like, probably the, like, the quintessential divorce novel that's so quintessential it feels almost like a uh, a stereotype when reading it until you realize it shaped a lot of the modern stereotypes of how we talk, how we write divorce novels. How did that guy write a whole fucking chapter from the point of view of a fetus where the fetus knows about 9-11? Like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? Like... <laughs> Quick answer, he got money. Uh, same with Gary Steingart. Gary Steingart lives in a million uh, Manhattan apartment, probably not dissimilar from his characters. Uh, He talks in interviews about having to buy his apartment through a private limited company in order to preserve his anonymity. Something I'm sure that uh, your average um, Appalachian coal miner knows all about and is really caring about. And um, yeah, it... I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's literally just money and fame turns these people 
like drains all talent and perspective from any artist ever uh, no matter what st- art, art you're in and now we've got the internet too to turn people into micro celebrities who also get as insane as um major celebrities based on like a few thousand twitter followers and we get elon Musk doing the same because instead of just being a business person and working in an office he has to be a celebrity too it, it touches on a theme that comes up um comes up a lot for people who critique art um including popular critics and just regular people who have opinions and i'm not saying they're not allowed but i think that people who aren't trained critics of it sometimes can fall into a certain trap that um that especially people who make art are very well aware of this trap in a way that i think regular uh regular people aren't and that's the sort of the tension between is it important for art you make to be inclusive or is it important for it to be true and obviously there's an overlap there but there's also a point where you can distend beyond your capability to accurately capture the lived experiences of the people you're including and the people that you're making point of view characters just for the sake of including them and can turn it into this gross grotesque mockery totally unintentionally like i don't think gary steingart thinks about like oh i want i want to seem like i'm a, a race fetishist pervert <laughs> but i want but i also want the women in my books to be race fetishist perverts for different races so that i don't look like a weirdo i don't think he actively <laughs> thinks that nope. but the the inability to like it's a good desire to be like to want to include as many the knowledge that there are other ways of viewing the world but at a certain point it's like you're going to make a more human and more understandably limited tale if you keep it like within what you know um and also this weird understanding it's like some, like Gary some of these aren't your stories to tell and that's a weird lesson to learn but you'd think as a 46 year old professional writer he'd know like there are certain stories that I should highlight the people who write them and the people who own those stories, like who it ties to their lives. Like I should just push them a little bit into the limelight rather than trying to tell that story, but worse. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty much all of Seema's stuff. And any time a African American comes into his line of sight, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I'd I'd like to see uh, black um, critics talk about like success. I think um, I really like to see some very forthright uh, and very intelligent black critics like um, like T on Champagne Sharks podcast. He would go. To, he would tear this to pieces. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're listening, uh, do it, dude. Just dive in here and fuck him up. Fuck him up. Yeah. But uh, you know what else is going to fuck people up big time is the new. Uh, Dodsrit album coming out on Alert Antifascista Records out of Hanover, Germany. Uh, it's fucking good. Uh, they've put the whole thing up on Bandcamp, even though it's out literally today. Um, or maybe yesterday, if you're listening t- uh, tomorrow, which is 9-11. Happy 9-11 to everyone listening tomorrow. And happy 9-11, Miss, to anyone listening today. Yeah, 
It's nine eleven Eve. It is. Yeah, I've um, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of having a bummer day because my um, I've I've got to work late on a new account at my advertising firm, but my son is in a nine eleven day pl- play. He's playing a dancing Israeli. And um, he really wanted me to go see it, and he's. Uh, I've been letting him down a lot lately because I've been working so hard at the firm. So um, I'm kind of hoping that uh, you know, no, no ghosts of nine eleven uh, come and teach me the real meaning of nine eleven uh, while I'm working on this big account. But uh, that that could happen, could not happen. But in the meantime, I'm going to listen to uh, Dodrit, um, new album, just called Dodrit. It's an LP, uh, but it's um, and it's on Alerta Antifascista, which means for once a black metal artist, you don't have to Google to see if they're a Nazi. And um, I'm going to listen to the first song off it, which is Endless Circle. And then we're going to come back and talk about Drill, because if one person can redeem this whole sorry shit show, it's Drill. But here's uh, Dodds Rit. Yeah. 
Do do do. And I, I literally had to shove my hand into my mouth to keep from laughing super hard when you said teach me the true meaning of 9 11. <laughs> like, you can laugh. Like, that encourages the audience to laugh. Like, like I literally choked. I was... <laughs> uh, it's about family and giving. That, it, it is about families. That's, that is yeah. true. <laughs> Some families. It's the, the Bin Laden and the Bush families. Technically, and the, and the, the Saud family. They they were highly the, the the Saud royal family, a very important part of 9-11. Uh, Remember, did we ever talk about how uh, on the show how Saudi Arabia threatened to nine eleven Canada on Twitter? No, but that was that was that was genius of Elon Musk level. That was that was some good stuff. I wish I'd still live in Canada. I, I wish I was still living in Canada when that happened, because I'd really love to be on the ground when they were kind of just like showing their collective asses about. Yeah, we can. We know we did nine eleven, and we're gonna nine eleven you too. <laughs> like, how do you like? Do you think so? They deleted it. What What do you think made them go like? We should post it. Wait, no, that was a mistake. Like. How do you accidentally <laughs> confirm you did nine eleven, and then also realize you should never confirm that? Yeah, the internet has broken everyone. Uh, we're eventually gonna have to just abandon the internet and go back to being normal people because we're like Prometheus playing with fire. We're we've we can't as a species do the internet. <laughs> We need to evolve. We need to get like extra fingers and go all like two thousand one space odyssey ending before we can actually go online again. We've been given a beautiful, beautiful gift, and we've proven we absolutely don't deserve it. Yeah, there should be like an alien. You know, in like nineteen fifties sci fi movies, where an alien comes down and tells everyone that <laughs> humans can't possibly handle the a bomb. An alien should do that with the internet. I'd just be like, <laughs> I have seen your posts, Earthmen. They're all poor quality. Your memes are not dank. And for this, I shall take you all offline. I, uh, a, a good question to ask our audience uh, will be, where were you when Saudi Arabia threatened to 9-11 Canada? Yeah, it's, it's like 9-11 too. First is tragedy that is like... <laughs> High, high fast. And, uh, but you know who else is online? It's Drill. And your house is now offline in book format. It's also Drill. And, um, yeah, no introduction necessary. If you don't know who Drill is, fuck you. Yeah, just fuck off. Like, you shouldn't, you're the first person who the alien should take the internet away from. If, if you're not familiar with Drill at this point, I really don't know what you're doing. You should just fuck yourself. Like I, I actively hate anyone who is not familiar with him because I, I can never relate to that person. Yeah, it's yeah. been, it's impossible for me to sympathize with their lived experiences. We have nothing in common. Yeah, I, I've dropped drill quotes into discussions with my wife and into business meetings. Uh, and just to make sure that the people around me know at least one drill quote. And um, just because I don't want to hate people 
because they don't like drill. And yeah, he's he's got a book out. And in typical fashion of the greatest poster in all of online, it's the most half-assed thing you'll ever read over 420 pages. It is inexplicably... I, I can't call it bad, but yeah, it, it is bad. I can't call it bad because it's clearly this on purpose. Yeah, it, it's a, like a beautiful <laughs> case of form-following content. Like if he if he brought out a really great book, then that would be a, a major disappointment to me because Drill is not like... about making great things. He's about making... <laughs> really fucking insane things. And um, yeah, and this the, the drill book is 420 pages because 420 smokes some blaze it, and it's just his tweets, uh, lightly yeah. edited, uh, 1500 of them. I, I don't know how many he's actually tweeted overall, so I don't know how much of his overall oeuvre it actually <laughs> um, represents, but probably there's probably like let's see how many how many tweets he's done overall oh he's done 8373 as of today his yes. last one was watching some bullet time movies and inventing my own Bechtel test for bullet time instead of girls <laughs> brilliant <laughs> just brilliant like there is no all the combined jokes in Lake success are not as good as that thing drill tossed off at like 2am this morning it's just genius and the most like reply is like someone shitting a stream of diarrhea into a toilet from on from standing on top of their sink it's disgusting i hate it and so a brief a brief history of how i found drill is in uh in 2010 uh i had earlier in the year my girlfriend of four years had broken up with me at the time i deserved it uh i was a shitty boyfriend then First three years, pretty good. Last year, bad boyfriend. Um, huh. I was 21. That's that's about when, uh, yeah, it'd be a, yeah, yeah, shitheaded, straight white dude at the age of 21 makes sense. Uh, that just checks out. So I'm bummed. It's six months later. Um, Opeth has released Heritage. Everyone's confused. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, they're, they're, they go on tour, and they have Catatonia as their opener. And I was like, oh, I, you know, Night is the New Day had come out not too long ago, and everyone loved that record. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah, I want to go see Opeth. I want to go, you know, I want to see how these songs open up live. Go there on a, on a first date with somebody. Um, and because, you know, she's uh, a savvy person, she's like, I'm going to bring a friend, and you should also bring a friend, so that way... One, we're safe, and two, if it gets weird and we don't really like each other, we can just have a good time. And it's like, okay, that's fine. that works out. So I drive up, get stuck in traffic. Um, while I'm stuck in traffic, my friend turns to me and goes, yo, have you heard of horse ebooks? And I'm like, no. And at the time, I was online, but like forum online. I wasn't, hmm. you know. The forum online years were good years. That's... They were. We need to and go I, through them to to get to this hell. Uh, so I uh, so I I say no. And he pulls out his phone and he's like, "I'm going to read you some horsey books tweets because these are great." And I'm like, "I I have a Twitter. I just I've never used it." He's like, "You're going to want to be using a Twitter after I'm done." So 
He reads off four C books tweets to me for the entire car ride, and I almost crash my car. Um, because I'm literally laughing so hard, I'm crying with my eyes closed while driving. Uh, which is a difficult to do. Um, we see OPEP, uh, OPEP whips ass live. Those songs are tight live. Uh, it was the last night on the tour. Catatonia comes out on stage for the encore instead of OPEP. We're like, what? Then Michael Ackerfeld and Martin Axenrock come out, and I'm like, oh, wait, oh, my God. And then they play an entire bloodbath set, including Eaton. I literally scream so much that I ruin the date, and I never get a second date. Because I am, I am, like, in fucking death metal heaven. I go home, high as fuck off of death metal, and uh, weird jazzy prog rock, and I look up uh, horse ebooks, immediately follow them on my Twitter account, which I've tweeted, like, Four things, and all of them were at like uh, Warren Ellis um, at that. Point. I just used it yeah. to follow Warren Ellis and hound him um, <laughs> mercilessly. Don't, just don't like ever a, let him off the hook. He knows what he's done. I'm like, I love your books, fucker. Um, uh, and the very first, uh, like you should follow this if you like that, was Drill, and. Uh, at that point, he had already made uh, my resume, page one, 42-point rosewood font. I am a jeans man first and foremost. Page two is the Bible. And I I felt like my brain broke. Hmm. That was probably, those that one-two punch of horse e-books, actually, I guess a three-point punch of horse e-books, Opeth concert, including uh, playing weird uh, jazzy Prague with a with a bloodbath uh, encore set, drill all in one night. Uh, is why I'm online today. That that's like an origin story, and also probably the best day anyone's ever had. It was in, a in pretty the 21st fucking good day. It oh was yeah, pretty that, fucking tight. <laughs> that yeah, that's uh, yeah, no day of my life as compared to that, including my wedding, and. Uh, I submitted a story when I was when I was a lot younger. I was like eighteen or nineteen to um to one of the early Bizarro fiction uh, magazines. If anyone remembers, it's still technically going, but it's it, it's a smaller bubble now. Um, and it was a story called The Spider Husk Man. So it was it, like that kind of style has always been sort of in my head. And then when I saw Drill, just fucking, it's perfect. Mm, yeah. He's perfect. Like. <laughs> Yeah, and what uh, brings him around to Gary Steingart not being perfect by a long fucking shot is that Drill is a brilliant satirist of contemporary yeah. American life because he actually gets it and he's just some guy and he probably has a day job. Like, I'm sure being Drill doesn't pay a whole lot. But um, even with books coming out, I'm sure he's like, maybe won't have a day job by the time the next one comes out next year. But uh, yeah, otherwise he's just a guy who goes online a lot and is a perfect observer of the way that people are relate now that the internet has broken everyone. And it's his key insight, and it is I'm going to sound like one of those really bad articles that talks about weird Twitter online, but that's okay because <laughs> I had an eight thousand follower account in weird Twitter in, like, 2010. So, technically, I'm allowed to talk about this. Um, uh, He reminds me a lot of what was successful about Pinchon's 
uh, or even the less cringy bits of like Hunter S. Thompson when he was just going fucking bonkers because it's the key insight that the world is filled with evil people who are also really fucking stupid. Mm. Like it's not this weird QAnon uh, or like 18 dimensional chess uh, nightmare world. Like the fascists are in power largely due to uh, lucking into it genetically. Like, they were born as white people, or they were born as dudes, or they were born rich. Um, and they're wicked stupid. Like, the only reason they're able to maintain such a weird chokehold is because they're too powerful, not because they're too smart. Yeah. That's come up on the show before, when Elizabeth Sandifer, who wrote a, a huge and brilliant book about the alt-right, her central insight after studying them intensively and putting them alongside, like, uh, Milton and Blake as points of comparison, is that the alt-right are, are able to do what they do because they're so stupid. And literally nothing else. It's, it's yeah. just stupid works now. Stupid is the key that unlocks the door to everything in 2018. So a fucked-up philosophical problem that ties into game-making, maze-making, and writing, because the world is really fucking dumb... <laughs> is the best and hardest puzzle to solve is one that doesn't have a solution because you made it incorrectly. <laughs> like, it exactly. sounds like a trick, but it's it's literally like you can't... I was talking about this with... um, uh, It was a really dumb transphobic thought that someone had put forward of, like, transness denudes the, the words man and woman of meaning because you can just be one or the other. And it's like... That's such a – there are some thoughts that come directly from an ideology that you can't really disprove because they come from a deep-seated ideology, not like a line of reasoning. And that – all of us have those, like my thought that socialism or like intersectional socialism is the way forward. In a certain way, if I'm honest, pre-exists facticity of that. Facts yeah. bear it out, but it exists in my head as a belief more than – yeah, it's just luckily facts align with that particular belief. Exactly. Um, but with uh, with that like really gross comment about like oh transness makes men and women not, it's there. There simply isn't an internal logic to it. There, like not even an internal logic. It's not that it doesn't fit with the outside world. It also doesn't reference anything inside of itself. It's just a bare statement. So there's there's no way to have even a discussion about it. If anyone brings that up as a point, like you it's a mental trap because you'll just move in a circle and that's because it's not this ingeniously crafted argument. And this is also one of the reasons why you can't like argue with or debate certain political figures like Steve Bannon because mm. he doesn't he's not tricking you. He legitimately there isn't an interior logic there's sort of like a shifting hall of mirrors, but it's ultimately like he's a racist and he'll come up with anything that sounds good in the moment. Hmm. It doesn't Trump have a lot of the same. In... Yeah. It, it like trying to find this common thread of like, where does it connect to this or to this or to this? That isn't how that works. You're assuming that they've constructed a deliberately through composed like maze or puzzle that you can then solve because if there's a process of becoming, you can just reverse it. To, but it's not that it's just, it's random occurrence with a loose center. 
And every drill tweet is just, and it, like every Pinchon novel as well, is just, there isn't an arc to the randomness of life or the randomness of history. It's just dumb bullshit. Mm. Like senseless, meaningless, endless bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Just stupidity, uh, self-centeredness, not understanding nuance, misogyny, racism, uh, being uh, your whole life revolving around being online and the cultures of that that engenders. It's yeah, it's it's perfectly twenty-first century. It in a way that. Gary Steingart is never going to get because he's still trying to figure out the puzzle and he's presenting all the little puzzle pieces he's found and going across the country trying to figure it all out but he would do better just to read a few drill tweets he should probably just get this book if he's he he seems to be pretty online himself in the kind of like cringy uh, boomer resistancy way but uh, I don't think he I'm pretty sure he doesn't follow drill and I'm hoping he actually he actually liked a a tweet I made yesterday saying that we're going to um, look into whether he or Drill is the best satirist of in contemporary America. So it's possible I may have introduced Gary Steingart to Drill. Kind of like how you introduced the world to Neckbeard Death Camp. Right, they were already on like page five of uh, Bandcamp by that point. I uh, you know I I didn't start the fire. Um, I can credit you here in this context. <laughs> no, it, and, and plus, they're talented musicians. I, I don't take yeah. any credit for uh, Netbeard Death Camp. I, uh, I've since befriended uh, Noah, the, 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 uh, the main person behind Netbeard Death Camp. Brilliant, lovely, very, very sincere uh, person. That's just like a total aside. Like, has been focusing on ways to like direct money from the project that they never expected to be getting into different activist causes, different groups that could use the money, just like, um, has been going, some of the members were in kind of misogynistic, like, gore grind bands, and has been going back and working with those members to be like, you have to get, get right with that stuff, or we can't, we can't, like, move forward with this, so, like, took, I was really satisfied with how they took the understanding of, like, this was just a joke side project of Mm. sincere angst that then, uh, blew up and trying to take that seriously. Like, now that we have that platform, we need to handle this in a certain way. Yeah. And now they also, ha- MDF. Has, has a really great, uh, noise project as well that's much more, that's much less jokey, much more sincere with their politics called White Phosphorus. Just really great group. Cool. Yeah. If they, they bring out some stuff, I'll play on the show because White Phosphorus, I mean, and Netbeard FM because yeah. both, both great. Exactly. And, um, yeah, where were we? Drill. Um, yeah, Drill is probably... I've, there's a thing I've noticed about um, a lot of weird Twitter. And even when weird Twitter influence people like Chapo Trap House or whoever, um, they often do what novelists are supposed to do a lot better than most novelists. Um, I was listening to Chapo, of all things, um, and... Um, Felix Biedemann went on this big extended riff about, uh, quote, hot couch guys, as in guys who sit on a hot couch in their shitty apartment by themselves and will have, like, the DVD menu of a terrible old crap B-movie on and smoke crap weed and have a lizard. And 
I can, I'm not doing it any justice. Go, like, go on YouTube and look up Hot Couch Guys. Because it's, it does, it's a, a character study done by a bunch of guys in a room just laughing about this character that one guy has invented. And it's so perfectly done. It's like all those writing exercises back in university where we'd be trying to um, describe a character using the contents of their pockets or something. These guys who are supposed to be this like utterly unserious, brochelist, nothing podcast do just off the top of their heads. And Drill does the same thing. Like every one of his tweets, there's like a character behind it. And there's never, there's some somewhat of a consistent character, but there's the whole um, Hemingway uh, all writing is an iceberg where there's like a tenth above the water that you're seeing, there's nine tenths below the water. That's incredibly true of all of Drill's tweets. He does, it is doing what great literature should do, but in tiny little bits online, the way kind of Twitter kind of promised would happen, that we'd get like books tweeted out to us and we'd, we'd get things that are just as good as anything in Faulkner uh, in 140 characters at a time. Yeah, Drill is, um, to answer the question posed yesterday, if Gary Steingart, if you're listening, Drill is the better satirist of contemporary american life sorry dude but yeah. you know he doesn't have a million and one dollar apartment so you know you, you beat him in that regard yeah I, sure. I i rest assured that you can you can cry pretty good in a really expensive house i feel like plenty of yeah the acoustics no- in there are bound to be amazing yeah the, like drill's apartment probably doesn't have acoustics if he's not living with his parents which is a possibility. I don't like the idea of thinking about Drill having having parents. Yeah, or being a person. Like, yeah, you like, can, like, dox Drill if you want, but it's kind of pointless. Yeah, and, I don't uh, I don't care about his personhood. That's simply not why I am here. No. For me, he is a grainy picture of Jack Nicholson smoking and smirking. Yep. That's, that's Drill. He's a little circle. There's Jack Nicholson, like... 16-bit and zero resolution that's drill and he he stands alone as a great great satirist of contemporary america and one of the few people actually equipped to talk about this shit show hell world that we're in but enough about that let's listen to some screamo fuck yes screamo Screamer's fucking good. Screamo has always been good, and I don't care who says otherwise. It's always been a really great genre. Uh, I uh, I played some. I played some for my girlfriend the other day in the uh, in the car. Uh, you know, sort of grew up with the colloquial term screamo, but hadn't uh, played some like real nice scrams for. Mm. She was like, "This is good. What is this?" I was like, yeah. "This is screamo." She was like, "I guess I like screamo," and I was like, "Yep, yeah." It was kind of uh, caught up in the whole thing where we misidentified emo for about 20 years and people thought My Chemical Romance were an emo band. And um, Screamo, unfortunately, is a casualty of that 
terrible dark time in uh, our lives. Um, but these guys are called Infant Island. They're out of... Oh! You like them? Yeah! You've heard of them? Oh, okay, good. Not only have I heard of them, they're from my hometown. Oh, Fredericksburg, Virginia, it says here? Fredericksburg, Virginia, that's where, that's nice. where I'm great. That's okay. Bad. Yeah, my mom still that. lives I was, there. I was, just, uh, I was just browsing on Bandcamp, trying to find something good, and yeah. So, all synchronicity, all fits together, as above, so below, and so on. Yep, I even blurred them on, uh, on Twitter after I checked out the record. Yeah, this is a really fucking great record. Yeah, damn right it is. It's, um, they're self-titled, I assume. Yep. Yep, and um, we'll play a track called Replenish. No, yes, rep- no, Fall. I liked Fall better than Replenish. Um. This is actually what I played my girlfriend. This is oh. <laughs> ironically weird. the same. <laughs> okay, weird. That's yeah, that's very weird. But um... uh, it, actually, no, it's deliberate. Oh, okay. Yeah, like... we did this deliberately. Whoa. Yep. Some next level shit. We planned that's... it, idiots. Tricked cool. you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you liked uh, Oathbreaker and their album uh, Riad came out two years ago now, maybe a year ago. Um, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, if you like... I think if you like Death Heaven, you'll probably like these guys. Um, Death yeah. Heaven have an unacknowledged debt to Screamo as a genre that people forget and, and they try and imagine them as a black metal band, which they're most definitely not. And they'll be the first bit people to tell you that. But uh, yeah, these these guys, Infant Island, out of... Fredericksburg, Virginia. Very fucking good band. And you can go on Bandcamp and you can check them out. And you can go to the shops and you can buy uh, Lake Success if you want. I don't particularly recommend you do. Um, And you can definitely buy the Drill Book. uh, Although you should probably wait till next year to his real book comes out. And... um, you can follow him on Twitter at D-R-L, D-R-I-L. Uh, and if but you also, him... if you're not already following, drill fuck off. Mm, true. Yeah, that's kind of a catch-22 kind of situation there. Oh, also, if you call him Wint, like, I, I don't know, pe- some people do that? That's really weird. Yeah, that's uh, like not un- his name. Just drill. It, it's like an unwritten rule that even though that's his display name, you, you never say Wint. It's... Um, you, you'll learn these rules. Online is a difficult place to navigate. And, if you never um, break the rules, you immediately become a pariah, which is insane, but true. Yeah, and um, it's the only way we've kept online as good as it is, mm-hmm. is by being like really sick and Hyper regimented. Very sickeningly regimented. Mm. Call-out culture is just really helping us out. And um, yeah, so but come back next week, because we're going to do... Depending on Verso Books, if you're listening, uh, they're either, we're either going to do Against Creativity, which is a book written against creativity, or we'll do Cherry, uh, which is a book that's going to be nothing like Gary Steingart's, because unlike uh, Lake Success, it wasn't written in a million-dollar apartment in Manhattan. It was written in a prison on a prison typewriter by a prisoner. Also, also way more bank robberies in that one. Yeah, and um, and probably a tiny little bit closer to actual American life. Um, 
and it's and it's good and you should get into it before they make a film out of it and ruin it but so um yeah come back for more next week uh, go online and just destroy your mind on the internet instead of reading books yeah but uh here's infinite island <laughs>